Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer for NMA, and joining me once again is Jack Gilbert, senior reporter for NMA. Hi, Jack. Hi, Ollie. And uh, we're delighted to say Will Robbins as well, who's the NMA editor. Hi, Will. Hi, Ollie. Uh, they're here to play Who is Hot and Who is Not with me. And after that, Jack will be speaking to Niche IFA director Ray Adams about Ray's experiences of the British Steel saga in Wales. But first, we gather that Will has something he wants to say. I do. I'd like to take this opportunity to give a bit of a plug to a little project we're doing uh, in the mag magazine and online called the Pension Freedoms MOT. Uh, so what we're doing is we thought, look, it's th three years since the freedoms came into force. Uh, obviously, four years since, uh, almost four years since George Osborne dramatically uh, announced the pension freedoms uh, would come into existence. And we thought, well, look, let's, uh, let's see how they're getting on. You know, three years is, uh, is no particular reason why three, but, but it just so happens that sort of few things have come together. You know, mm. we've had the British Steel uh, saga, and that, that's, that's dug up a lot of stuff about, about risk, about how charging, various things that are built into the system about needing advice. It's very interesting. Uh, and you know, markets have been a couple of wobbles, and I think uh, you know, I think uh, some some investors and drawdown investors will have will come come into that at the right time, or the, or the policies coming at the right time. So, it really, was an opportunity to see sort of kick the tires, so to speak. And who could resist an autom automotive analogy uh, when Steve Webb gave us one in such glorious fashion? when he said that he was pretty relaxed if pensioners chose to spend their savings on Lamborghinis. Absolutely. So please visit the NMA website. There's a big banner at the top uh, with a little logo on it that's going to be on everything that we do that's related to the, to the MOT. This is going to go on for a few, few weeks, if not longer. There's plenty of stuff to get through. Um, so have a look, react to the stories. Um, we'll be doing more soon. And please get in touch as well. Um, We'd love to hear your pension freedom stories, uh, especially from your advisors. I know you've got up to some really good stuff with clients uh, in your plans. So, so yeah, give, e email us. Uh, there's an address. I think it's news, just news at citywire.co.uk. That'll get through to us. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear your, your views uh, uh, and so on. Thanks, Will. That's great. Um, so, guys, we'll move on to who's hot and who's not. Who's not hot this week? Uh, so not hot this week, Ollie, are Venezuela, or specifically the, the fact that Venezuela has announced a new cryptocurrency called the Petra, which claims to be the world's first sovereign cryptocurrency. So, well, I mean, so far, I think it, the, the jury's out on this one, but I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be investing my, my, my pension funds in, in this cryptocurrency, uh, let's just say. Uh, me neither, because I, for one, am petrified. Oh, it could be a disaster. That's... Um, but yeah, I mean, I've heard I've had conversations in the backs of taxis uh, in the past two weeks about cryptocurrency with people who don't know whether to invest in it or not. And uh, I'm obviously not a regulated financial advisor, but it just kind of feels like the sort of thing to avoid at the moment. Don't yeah, you think? certainly the Venezuelan variety, I think, is pro possibly not the most uh, safe, safest option when it comes to cryptocurrencies. <laughs> My friend's brother is listening to this who's been drifting through India and Europe, traveling for the last few years, not doing anything, has suddenly become a cryptocurrency uh, intermediary. <laughs> uh, and I just saw a, a post on Facebook yesterday said, I've got some Ethereum, if you want to buy them, send me a DM. I mean, and there was already interest 
from people. So I mean, you know, wow. whether that says more about Ethereum or more about my my friend's brother, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I won't be buying any from him. That's not to talk down Ethereum, but yeah. And who's hot? So hot this week are Lloyd's, Lloyd's Banking Group. Um, they've come back and announced their big push back into financial advice and pensions. They're targeting uh, 50 billion of pension and retirement assets by 2020, looking for a, a million new pension customers, making a play into, into more, more advisors in their branches. They're looking to expand their corporate pension book. And also Scottish Widows, the insurance arm, is developing or planning to develop a uh, advisor platform, so they're yeah they're making a big a big bigger play into into the world of pensions and advice once again because they've they've been there before. I don't think it, it went swim that that swimmingly for them last time around. So we'll wait and see how how this works out. But certainly they've they they had some some good results this week and and they've they've kind of announced a big investment into their. Their pensions and advice capabilities. So we'll, we'll just uh, watch watch that one with interest to see see how it goes. This is their attempt to compete with Hargreaves Lansdowne, is it not? Uh, I wouldn't really badge them up against Hargreaves. I, I think this is I think this is um, if anything they're looking more like Standard Life Aberdeen in a way, although they're not moving into asset management. But they they're making you know they they pulled those assets from from Scottish Widows uh, last week, yeah. and and now they're potentially bringing out their own advisor platform and they're uh, looking to, to expand more into the advice world so they um they they will certainly get a few a few big names in in pensions and advice uh, i think a little bit worried at the moment great stuff so jack i'm going to hand over to you now for your in-depth chat with ray adams who's been observing the british steel pension saga firsthand jack um so so ray i mean i, I think kind of following on from from that chat I think speaking, well, or certainly listening to a few of the steel workers talk about the British steel transfer fiasco, one of the issues, one of the main issues they found was with the FCA register and not being able to find whether or not firm had a permission restriction on DB transfers, uh, not, not re understanding how it really works and having this kind of frustration at the FCA register. I mean, do, do you think it, the FCA register played quite a big part in, in, the, in the, the, the British steel saga? Um, I don't think it paid a huge part. I think it, it, it was um, a part for some people who were doing uh, their due diligence and check-in, but I think m many steel workers uh, had other problems other than checking whether their advisor had permissions. I think certainly it's a contributing factor, but that's a very small part. You know, the British steel problem was a much bigger problem than the FCA register. The FCA register is there, it's just difficult to navigate and it could be improved. Well, I don't think that was a huge contributing factor to the British steel problems. And, and just like looking at the situation, obviously down from, from South Wales, you're in a South Wales advice firm. I mean, how, do, you, do you think this, this story has had, a, has had a real tangible impact on the whole of South Wales? Can you kind of see it all around? Well, I wouldn't say this story has had a huge impact, but the, the actual event of the British steel pension has had a massive, massive impact on pretty much all advice firms in South Wales. Okay. I didn't choose to get involved in the British Steel Pension Advisory, but um, we're a chartered firm, we're fee-based, we're independent, we're sited we're right on the side of the M4 motorway, just where there's a bottleneck at the tunnels in Newport. So 100,000 cars a day are in a traffic jam looking at my office, say, in char Niche Chartered Financial Planners. We are three miles from Flanwyn Steelworks, two miles from Orb Steelworks and 45 minutes from Port Albert Steelworks. So right in the centre of it. It was natural that we were just going to have inbound phone calls. 
So Nish has done nothing to try and attract um, uh, British steel workers, but our phone just started ringing red hot. Yeah. And it rang so much that we had so many inquiries that I took a business decision on the 10th of October. Bear in mind that is a good month before there was any stories about this to close my doors. Yeah, I think I, I spoke to you around that time, and I think quite a few of the other firms just had the same experience, that they were just completely inundated. With we were just overwhelmed. Our phone on average was ringing 10 times a day, minimum. So it's, uh, it, it was a real problem. So the problem isn't the FCA register. The problem was a capacity issue. So one, there's not that many advisors left in the UK because you know we've consolidated down to about 28,000 advisors. And you know, potentially there were 42,000 steel workers that could ask for a transfer value. Now, we've guesstimated that about 20,000 of them are probably in the South Wales corridor. So if you just quickly do some mathematics and say how many firms are in Wales authorised to do pension transfers, and if, if we overestimate that at 50 firms, and it isn't anywhere near that, but let's say 50 firms, and there's 20,000 steel workers, that means every firm needs to take at least 400 steel worker clients each. It's completely impossible. So the problem is a capacity issue. So as soon as we hit capacity, we're then saying, sorry, I can't help you. Uh, and the steel workers are then desperately searching for a, another firm that can help them. And then, potentially, the client is going to start making poor decisions because they're making a decision on selecting an advisor, not through shopping around or due diligence, but because this is the only person they can find. Hmm. And um, I mean, obviously, the, the FCA has come in for a bit of slack over the last couple of weeks and months and the way it's handled the, uh, the British steel issue. I mean, how, how do you feel the FCA has, has responded to the challenges of, of this this situation? Well, first of all, I don't know what the FCA are doing behind, behind the scenes, but, but as soon as um, it became into the public domain that there were problems, which was after we closed, uh, you know, and into November. I thought the FCA took some really, really swift action. You know, they called a meeting in um, in South Wales, and another one I think was in Doncaster, where we all had emails, you know, pretty much requiring us to go, which I was more than happy to do, and. Um, I think they spoke to about 150 advisors or firms. I think about 150 firms yeah, came, yeah. yeah. And I thought that you know that was very proactive, you know. So, you know, I'm not here to defend the FCA, but you know what they did, I found helpful anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's kind of a bit of a more of a positive spin on it compared to some of the other kind of the criticism that they've come in for. And, and I think they did. They you mentioned before that they they came down and visited your firm. Yeah. Sure. So, you know. Because of where we're based and because of the inbound calls, we've become quite active in, in, in uh, advising um, steel workers. So as part of the FCA looking at all the firms which were active, they came and visited us. You know, and I really, really welcomed it. And you know, we were visited uh, in December by the FCA, and I would say that three very, very competent supervisors came down. They certainly knew their stuff. You know, these comments where you, you sometimes read under articles saying the FCA are just ticking boxes and don't know what they're on about. Well, that's not the evidence we saw. We saw three very competent supervisors um, who only actually want the same as me and my advisors, which is a good client outcome. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't see them ticking any boxes, but I did see them chatting to me and my staff about the culture of our business and what we were trying to achieve and how we do it and what our processes were. 
And I, I found it very refreshing. I felt that Niche were doing a really good job for clients anyway. Uh, the FCA have given us some very, very positive information about how we work, and they've given us some suggestions to improve that as well. So the outcome for me is that I thought we were doing it really good before, and I think we're doing it fantastic now because the FCA gave us some suggestions on improving our clarity of some of the things we were doing. That's really good. It's really, I suppose, a reassuring experience then. Yeah, and you know, the end result of that is, you know, I feel more confident as a business owner that we're giving a great service to clients. Clients can be reassured because we tell clients, you know, we've had an FCA visit and we've had a clean bill of health and, you know, we're, we're giving a good service. Yeah, fantastic. Um, really good stuff, uh, Ray. I mean, I'm just maybe looking at the, the kind of British Steel saga more generally, I mean, how, how do you think things are going to go now? I mean, what, what we've had obviously a lot of media frenzy around this in terms of the practices of certain advice firms. I mean, do you think that there's going to be this, that people in South Wales and across the country now are going to have less trust and faith in advisors because of the situation there? Um, it, very, very possibly. Um, what I know for definite is there's, there appears to be some pockets uh, of steelworkers where the advice given has been questionable. Okay. But what I do know is that many of my peers, because we do chat to each other, the advisory firms, and, and we try and swap ideas, because you know, in the olden days we might have been in competition, but we're not in competition now because there's not enough of us and there's too many clients, really. So we swap ideas and try and help each other. And what I know is many of my peers in South Wales are as equally as passionate as I am about giving good service to clients for good outcomes. And so I think there's lots of, lots of steel workers who have been through the mill a, a little bit with the ups and downs of the changes from BSPS 1 to whether it's going to go into the Pension Protection Fund or whether it's going to go into the BSPS 2. And I think they had a little bit of mixed emotions. But now, for many of them, they've got clarity. You know, and we, we've advised many, many, many clients about staying in uh, BSPS 2 and going into PPF. Because many steelworkers want to retire early with tax-free cash. And for those, in most cases, they were better going into the Pension Protection Fund. So I think they had been let down a little bit in the lead-up to this because the Pension Protection Fund was viewed as the end of the world. Yeah, the enemy. It's kind of, you don't, Absolutely. don't but in let most, these guys take your cash. But in most cases, it was the best option. Because talking a bit geeky now, the commutation factors of going into the Pension Protection Fund were very generous in favour of the client. Mm. So they had to give up much less income to, to buy their, their big tax-free cash. Uh, and in general, in general, if somebody was retiring between 55 and 60, taking maximum tax-free cash, they were taking several thousand pounds more in tax-free cash, and their pension was anything between 500 and 1,000 pounds a year more than going into the new British Steel Scheme. So far from it being worse, it was considerably better. You know, and, and, and I commissioned my development staff on advisor book to build a calculator that steel workers could help because I was conscious we'd closed yeah couldn't take any more on so um, uh, at our cost we, we we built a calculator and made it public facing for for the steel workers and at last count it'd been used over 3,000 times that's excellent yeah I'm delighted I saw I mean it got a very good uh, response on, on on Twitter and social media when it came out and, and so steel workers seemed very happy with this this tool. Yeah, you know, we had we had quite a few of them actually just email into us. Yeah. You know, and say, Oh, this is really useful. And uh, also um, I was corresponding with both the guys who were running the um, uh, the Facebook groups, you know, and taking some feedback from them and because you know, they were having some very positive messages in there which they were screenshotting and sending down to us. So it just 
you know, having, having taken the decision that we were going to spend some money and my developers time to do it, it was lovely to have some feedback. You know, people coming back just saying things like, oh, it was great to see, I've made my decision, it's PPF for me, fantastic. You know, so somebody I don't know, I've never met, but we've helped them make a decision and close that worry for them. That's a good, it must, be, it must have been a great feeling, Ray. Yeah, it was good, yeah. Fantastic. And I, th I think that's kind of about all we've got time for uh, this week. So, But Ray, thank you so much for coming down and joining us. No problem at all, my pleasure. And just before we go, we're going to play our regular game of what has been going on in social media this week, the best and the worst of. So, Ollie, what has been the best piece of social media comment or tweet or anything you've seen this week? Well, I don't want to come across as too snide about this, but I, 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 ha I always have my eyes on Scotland, Jack, because I sense that there is this narrative that has emerged about how people aren't necessarily entirely happy with the way in which the SNP governs, because it's all for this sort of political project, isn't it, which is independence. And I think that means that other things can kind of fall by the wayside and perhaps they appear a bit deaverish in the Commons. I certainly sense that. Um, and uh, the SNP leader in Westminster is, of course, Ian Blackford, who we know of WASPy fame. He is a very... Um, uh, argumentative uh, type on the floor of the Commons on that topic, uh, but he's been accused of um, of stitching up a deal with RBS to save branches uh, in his own constituency mm. uh, by the Labour MP for Glasgow North, Paul Sweeney. Um, and I read, I read as well. I don't know whether this is true, but he's accused of kind of jumping the gun when he's announcing all the sort of branches that've been saved, and kind of embarrassing RBS a bit. So I think the bankers aren't very happy with him. And Labour certainly aren't very happy with him. Um, but Paul Sweeney on Twitter, I thought this was a, a, a pretty cutting uh, tweet. He said, in Blackford's stitch-up deal with RBS to say branches in his constituency does nothing to help the poorest communities in my city, which have been left as banking deserts. Labour MPs will continue to press RBS for a deal that helps the poorest parts of Scotland too. Now, of course, obviously, they're not going to be able to take the reins from the SNP just yet. But I think that says something about what's going on up there and uh, some of the political tension. So I'll be watching that space to see whether Labour makes any sort of further inroads on the SNP's territory. Great stuff, Ollie. Uh, that's all for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, everyone, to subscribe on iTunes at the New Modern Advisor podcast. Um, you can also find all the podcasts we've recorded on, the, on, the homepage, on our website homepage hub. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. See you all next week.